I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. LinkedIn presents... For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Tom Nolan. He's the CEO of Kendra Scott and leads the billion-dollar jewelry business by balancing their day-to-day functions and strategy with the integration of the brand's core pillars of family, fashion, and philanthropy into every single customer touchpoint. In addition to serving on the board of directors, he oversees the brand's substantial growth, global expansion, and evolving retail model. Tom's got more than two decades of experience in brand building from a diverse range of companies, including Ralph Lauren, Condé Nast, and his own entrepreneurial endeavor, Prospect Brands. On the show today, we talk about Tom's rise from the first in his family to graduate from high school, ultimately going to college. We'll cover more of that as we get started in his desire to play two sports, not one at college, but then his rise through the sales ranks up to publisher in a a media company, and then switching to fashion, uh, joining Ralph Lauren, and then his own entrepreneurial ventures and board memberships that he sits on today. We also talk about Kinder Scott and their successful growth and the path of that they've been on and, and how philanthropy is at the root of what they're doing. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom Nolan. Tom, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about Kendra Scott. But before we do that, I hear you were quite the overachiever in college and played not one, but two sports. So th- tell me, what did you play? I guess let's start there. Well, I, the, the fact that you called me an overachiever in college would make my parents very happy. I definitely <laughs> didn't overachieve in the classroom. But uh, yeah, I played uh, I played baseball and golf in college. Interesting. Yeah. And I've always heard that those two sports are hard to play because of the swings are so different. Yeah, well, I was a pitcher, so I didn't I didn't have to hit. So the swings I, are, they're actually counterintuitive. They, they work opposite against each other. But I, uh, I did not hit in college. I just pitched and uh, did hit the golf ball. So it, it worked out. It worked out well. The biggest struggle was they were the same season. So it was, uh, it was a bit challenging logistically, but it worked out great. I, and, you know, I think it, just the way that I grew up, I didn't really have much. My dad's, I was the only person in my family graduated from high school. So I had a strong work ethic from a young age. And, and I think uh, just kind of parlayed itself into, into sports, which worked out well and, you know, helped pay for college, which my family couldn't have, couldn't have done. So it worked out really nice. I was really, really, really happy. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, from those early days at college to now, you're the CEO of Kinder Scott. Well, how'd you get your start in business? And like, where were some of the stops along the way? Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey as I look back on it. Some of it was purposeful, but a lot of it I think in life, you you get lucky and fortunate and you just try to make the most out of good opportunities. And I've been, I've been really lucky and not lucky and fortunate enough to be able to do that. But like I said, I, I was the only person in my family to, to go to college, in fact, graduate high school. So unlike most people, and it's funny, I now have a freshman in college. So I, I, I share these stories with her. She doesn't appreciate my stories by and large, but this one, I think hopefully she does because of the way that I grew up, my, my dad being an electrician, I never had internships. So during my summers, if I wasn't playing sports, I would, I'd work for contractors, roofers, and I'd do side jobs with my dad. My mom had a hot dog truck and a good humor ice cream route. And I would, you know, help her with that. So when I got done with college after four years, literally the only thing I had was a piece of paper. It was my diploma. I literally didn't have, I didn't do a single internship. I didn't even know. I, I mean, I knew, I guess that my roommates and teammates did, did that sort of thing. I just, it, it wasn't something that I had the ability to do um, right? or even have the wherewithal to know that I needed to do it. So anyway, when I got out of college, I really struggled trying to find a job. I, I interviewed at you know, dozens of places and everybody said no, because they would look at my, I mean, I didn't have a resume, right? So I interviewed for some very strange things. And so I kind of tripped into the publishing industry. I had a hmm. interview with a guy named Jason Sparks who worked at uh, publishing firm in New York City called Zip Davis, and I grew up on Long Island, so New York City was, was like a natural place to work. And after I you know I probably said had no said to me thirty times, I interviewed with this guy, and it was about selling classified ads in the back of PC Magazine. This was in uh, 90, the year two thousand, so technology was kind of prevalent then. And uh, you know I I didn't even really know what that meant, but anyway, I interviewed with this guy Jason, and he asked me some pretty pointed questions. The most pointed question was, "What are your goals?" And I gave him some kind of stupid answer that you know, a typical twenty-two-year-old might give, <laughs> who didn't really have any goals other than short-term graduating college. And I, I said, "You know, I want to get this job and make money and just stupid things." Anyway, he threw me out of his office, and he was like, "Look, I don't, I don't want to hire anybody that doesn't know where they want to go and what they want to do, and it's just kind of meandering through life." And uh, 
it hit home. And I got up and sheepishly was walking out of his office. I got like halfway down the hallway. And I was like, oh man, I can't go home. If I go home, I'm going to be an electrician. Right. My dad, you know, they're going to throw me out of the house and I'm not going to have a choice. And I was proud of my dad and what he's done and stuff, but I, I really didn't want to be an electrician. So I, I went back into Jason's office and I said, look, if I go back tonight uh, and really think about my goals, write them down on paper and come back tomorrow, can I, can I interview with you again? I can't, I don't, can't lose this. And he said, yeah, whatever. And I, and I, I went home and I stayed up all night and I, I wrote down my goals and I, it was 10 years of goals I wrote down. So I had goals all the way through 10 years from 2001. And I was really thoughtful about it. And a lot of them were personal and some, you know, a lot of them were professional. And you know, I, I, I literally stayed up all night. I went back and gave Jason the, the list and we went through it and I got, I got the job. <laughs> and what I learned kind of back to that work ethic thing, uh, a couple of things, and I'll kind of circle back to the goal thing in a minute. Cause right. But when I started there, I was basically in, in a bullpen, so to speak, of, of, and we just made outbound call. I was just cold calling all day. Right. And I learned early on that I wasn't going to be the smartest person in most rooms, but I, I knew that I would outwork anybody because that's all I knew, right? Mm. So we had like this scoreboard up there and that really resonated with me, anything sports related. So like I looked at it as a scoreboard and the challenge and like we did call volume and, you know, so-and-so would do 20 calls a day and another person would do 25. And if you worked really hard and like somebody stretched to 30 and like Jason, the guy who hired me was like monitoring it. Right. And it was outbound. We're all in cubicles and everybody that walked by saw the scoreboard. And I was like, all right, I like this. It's like a challenge. So <laughs> I determined to said to myself, like, I'm going to make a hundred phone calls a day. And it was three times what anybody else was doing. And I'm like, well, what, what else am I going to do? I'm not going to go home in my parents' basement. And I didn't really <laughs> care about like going out with the, my colleagues at work and drinking and all that sort of thing. So I was like, I don't, I don't want to stay in this job forever. So I'm just going to work my tail off and see what happens. So anyway, I, I did it. And a couple of things happened. Number one, every one of my peers started to hate me. I really, am. <laughs> you know, and number two, everybody above me started to notice what I was doing. And then the third thing was I was getting a lot more business and it was just purely through work ethic. And so I quickly rose through the, the ranks there really just based on determination and work ethic. And they was if they was for a little while, I, they moved me out to San Francisco, opened an office for them there, had a lot of success, wound up, wind up landing at Condé Nast ultimately in the publishing industry and uh, became a publisher at 26 years old, which is kind of crazy looking back on it now. But then somebody gave me the reins of a, of a P&L at the age of 26. And it was interesting because I worked at a, a magazine then called Golf World. So it was one of my passions and mm. turned that magazine into one of the most you know, the, by, by percentages, most profitable businesses at Yande and loved working for Cy Newhouse and Chuck Townsend. And at that point, it was about 10 years later in my career. That this And this is kind of circle back to the goals. I found that goal sheet that I wrote and I would put it up my cubicle. <laughs> and I did, I did literally every one of them, Alan. Oh, wow. And it, it never, the, my first reaction <laughs> was like, I wasn't happy. I was pissed because I'm like, man, I should have made these things better. And it, I made better. <laughs> You know, knows what I could have accomplished. But anyway, it was, uh, it was, so I still do it today. And I urge anytime I talk to people and students, you know, in school about you know, how they should be thinking about things. I think it's really important to be purposeful and thoughtful about writing your goals down. So anyway, left Condé Nast uh, after a, a really nice career there and I enjoyed my time and wound up at Ralph Lauren, uh, spent a number of years there and learned the brand from Ralph, which was incredible. Learned the business from a guy named Roger Farah, who was equally as incredible. And then left Ralph and started my own holding company with a private equity partner called Prospect Brands because I grew up on Prospect Place and we owned a couple of different distressed assets. And while I was there doing, we wound up selling that business. But while I was there doing that, I got a phone call from a private equity firm 
California called Norwest Capital, who had just become Kendra Scott's first institutional investor mm. and uh, had an outside board seat to name. And for some reason, they called me and I have no idea how they got my number. And I certainly had no experience in the accessories or jewelry business, but uh, flew out, met with Kendra, hit it off immediately, hit it off with the private equity firm as immediately and joined the board in 2013, I think it was, and have you know remained on the board ever since. And then two years Three years after that, we did a private equity transaction with a firm called Berkshire Partners, who took the company. When I joined the board, the company was valued at $100 million. And Berkshire, two and a half years later, begged the, our market value, equity enterprise value, became $1.1 billion. So it was a 10-time improvement in the, in the valuation of the business. And at that point, I joined in an operating role. So I, I've been here since then. It's been, it's been a really remarkable, exciting, fun, rewarding ride. That's a, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. Like I, it's not kind of, it is amazing that you went from Long Island playing sports. That was the gateway to get college to hustling your way into a job at a place that kicked, almost kicked you out <laughs> to like rising through the ranks in publishing, then switching to fashion, I'm guessing at Ralph and, uh, and now in kind of the fashion accessories business and doing private equity <laughs> as well. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. And, and in addition to that, I served on a couple of different boards. Uh, one company called Tommy John. It's an underwear company in New York. A company called Maiden, which is a cookware company here in Austin. And then and on the side, I with a couple of friends, we I own a little nine hole golf course. Tennessee and out of it's called Sweetens Cove. And out of that, we launched a bourbon company three years ago. And my partner's editor, uh, Andy Roddick and Peyton Manning and Rob Collins and uh, Mark Rivers and Skip Bronson. So it's been, it's been really fun kind of doing that as well. But the interesting part to what you just mentioned was, I mean, I literally, I came from nothing and I, I mean, it's just like, a, so if I, when I talk to people, particularly students, I have a real passion for teaching, but when I talk to students, like if I can accomplish this, then anybody can. And I think the interesting part is I've always done things that I knew nothing about. And so it, like I had purposefully had to be curious and ask a lot of questions and not act like I was the smartest person in the room or have all the answers. And I think that's, I think there's really, that's a really valuable skill set to have in hindsight I didn't do it on purpose. It's not the way it happened. And I, I'm so fortunate that I get to work for a person in Kendra who, you know, grew up very similarly to me and, you know, her doggedness and determination, especially, you know, 21 years ago when she started this company with $500 and a dream as a single mom, things were a lot harder for, for, you know, they're still not where they should be for women, but 21 years ago, it was a lot harder to raise money and launch a business. Mm -hmm. You know, she's one of, I think, 20 female founders who's created a, a business worth more than a billion dollars. And it's, it's amazing. And she's done it through very similar hard work, determination, doggedness, a passion for what she does, a passion for people, a passion for the customer. And so we share, we're very like-minded in, in how we think about doing things the right way, doing good in the world, taking care of our customers, treating our employees the right way. And it, it, it pays a really nice dividend. Interesting. Well, I know when you, I think when you started your operating role, you, you actually started out as CMO or yeah. something very akin yeah. to that. And now yeah. you're the CEO. I interview CMOs every day. And, and I think the one question they keep asking is you know what's the perspective from the CEO of what the CMO should be doing? So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, the CEO, yeah. what would what would the earlier you what would you be telling the earlier version of you? Yeah, so I, I mean, I started at the company as chief marketing and chief revenue officer, so I oversaw sales and marketing. And 
I would say the short answer to your question is to drive sales. I think I think mar- marketing's ultimate responsibility and measure of success is, you know, you're driving traffic, which ultimately drives sales if you have a good conversion. And, you know, if you're in a business like ours, which is Omni, you know, where we control 85% of our direct business between our retail business and our e-commerce business. So and we do that really well. So if the marketing team is doing their job effectively and driving traffic to our stores and our website, then our team is going to do their job and convert that traffic into sales. Mm. So t- to me, the truest measure of, of marketing is, you know, is the business growing, you know, right? So I always tried to tie myself to sales and I, I started as a salesperson. So that's easy for me to say, because it resonated. Right. I don't think a lot of marketing people or maybe not enough marketing leaders have that perspective because where I got into trouble sometimes as, as in that role, the marketing function was, you know, we'd sit in board meetings and I'd, I'd go through statistics and data and a lot of it was ambivalent, right. And ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And didn't, I think in hindsight, I, I could have done a better job of setting really clear KPIs of what I wanted to achieve and how we we're going to achieve and how we were going to do it. And then proving once those things happen, did we achieve, did we over-index, did we under-index and, and along the way, if so, how did it work? And I, I think I just tied, tied it to me because it was my comfort level was the overall health of the business and how, how much sales were growing and how much traffic was growing. And we were, I was fortunate too at that point that, and I was still on the board, so it was easy, it was easy to have, kind of have that perspective. But I also was fortunate the business kept continuing to grow. So, and, mm. you know, so the marketing team, not me, but the marketing team was doing their job really effectively and, and it worked. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It gets back to that scoreboard from your early sales days. Do you have a scoreboard and do you know how you're driving it, essentially? Yeah. I mean, look, I, it's easy for me because that's just how I'm wired. So I, right. I like, and I like a challenge. I like when somebody says something. I kind of grew up a little bit with a chip on my shoulder, just kind of because of where I came from. And I think that, that that chip has been a great motivator for me. And Kendra has the same, she's got the same, she's wired the same way. And I think that one of the cool things about our company is we have this like tenacious desire, not even desire, like need, need to win and be successful, mm-hmm. but we do it. And she really, she set the mark here. I mean, we do it with kindness and compassion and thoughtfulness and understanding in a way that most companies that have that burning tenacity and fire inside of them, a lot of the times those environments aren't great environments to work in. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they become cutthroat and it becomes all about winning. And we're like that, but we just, we, we do it with, and we have fun doing it. And there's a kindness and compassion about it. And it really comes from her. And I think the fact that our company is, 95% female, I think certainly adds to that. We have so many superheroes here when working moms that we've had to have flexibility 
all throughout the existence of the organization. So like when we got to COVID, it wasn't that hard because our company's always been flexible, right? I mean, if right. someone needed to go pick up a kid from school or had a sick child at home or had a spouse that needed help, like we were, we were always understanding. So when COVID came, outside of some of the things we had not dealt with, the, the flexibility part of it, I think was, was easy for us to deal with because it's kind of been at the root of our culture from the beginning. And we didn't say, and you don't have to sacrifice success or sacrifice winning or sacrifice hard work to do that. You can do both. Love it. I love it. I know kindness and compassion seem to be kind of like core values of Kendra Scott. How does your philanthropy fit into the, the mix of there? Because it seems like that's an important part of, of the company as well. Yeah. It, I mean, I would, I would say it's, it's our most important part. We are three pillars of family, fashion, and philanthropy. And philanthropy is, is I would say, the, really the, the, the pinnacle for us since the brands, since Kendra started the brand in 2001. I mean, she's always said that giving back is the truest form of success. You know, it's in our DNA and we have countless examples of it. And I think the unique thing that we've done here is we really do it on a one-to-one basis. And I'll tell you just a quick story of kind of, kind of back to how how I got here. And uh, but some data points for us are 2010, we've given back more than $50 million to local charities and international causes. The brand focuses on health, wellness, education, entrepreneurship, women and youth empowerment. And we just launched the Kendra Scott Foundation, which we're all really excited about. We've always kind of seen it that way, but that foundation is going to really allow us to control where funds are contributed, you know, deepening the investments and changing lives for anybody in need, but particularly women and youth. And Every company now, and every company should have from the beginning, but I think every company now is focused on ESG and having some social component or give back because it's the right thing to do. I think Kendra's been doing it for 21 years, right? We've right. put a stake in the ground very early on, and it's been a huge driver to our success so much so that, you know, last year we did, we have 131 stores today. Last year we did 20,000 events in our retail stores. And each one of those events was driven by a philanthropic need. And it wasn't like a big organization like a Sus G. Komen or American Red Cross. And those are great organizations. We, we, help, we help them, but most of them were individuals, one-to-one basis. You know, you have a sick mm. family member or friend in need, like we in our local communities lean in and really make sure that we are helping people. So to, just to bring it back, and this is, I mean, I only know what, what I know and what I've, we only know what we experience ourselves in life. But when I was at Ralph, we had Pink Pony Foundation. My family has always given back and volunteered, mm-hmm. that sort of things, because it's just, I've been fortunate in life that I didn't come from a lot. And I've done more than I thought was possible. So I always, I felt like giving back is really important. But, and I knew that we did a lot of philanthropy here as a board member. But when, after we had a transaction with Berkshire, Kendra asked me to join the company. I was living in North Carolina with my family and I was not interested to move to Texas. She asked me to join the organization. I was like, no, not living. I don't want to live in Texas. I haven't spent a lot of time there. I'm very happy here. I have four young children and mm-hmm. you know we're good. And we do something called Kendra Cares, which is where we take our color bar. So in all of our stores and on our website, we were the first company in our category to have a create your own where you could walk in and custom make jewelry for yourself and walk out with that product. So it was pretty, pretty revolutionary at the time. And it's still a core tenant to what we do. So we take a mobile version of that. We bring it to hospitals and schools and businesses, anywhere where, where we can go and, and serve others. And uh, she had urged me to go to one of our Kendrick Cares events before making my final decision on if I was going to come work here or not. <laughs> I'd already made up my mind that I wasn't coming to work here, just FYI. But right. uh, I was like, okay, I'll begrudgingly go. So it was at the event that we were doing. I was in New York for a board meeting for another company, and it was at uh, Sloan Kettering's Pediatric Oncology Ward. I have four children, 
and I'd never been in a pediatric oncology ward. I, I hope mm. to have never been one as a father, but I was not looking forward to going. And I'm a, I'm like a super emotional person. Like I cry in the movies and like sad commercials <laughs> every time I leave my eldest daughter at Villanova and, and all this sort of thing. So I was, I was not looking forward to going. I, I don't, I, I knew I was going to get sad. I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to make the families uncomfortable if I kind of lost it. But so I begrudgingly went. And I remember getting in the elevator. Like I remember how it smelled. I remember the ride up and before the doors open. And I was like just dreading the sad, awful place I'm going to walk into. Mm-hmm. But before the doors open, I could hear like the bass from like bass of music. Like you're at a <laughs> and the doors open and I walked in and the reception area of, of uh, Sloan Kettering's pediatric oncology ward, we basically turned into like a party. And it was, <laughs> it was the happiest place in Manhattan. We had you know, clowns and balloons and I was at the color bar making jewelry for sick kids and their parents and their siblings and their grandparents and whoever was there. And it was like for three hours, we made this really sad place, like the happiest place in the world. And uh, I did keep all, I did keep it together. And then I walked out of the building and went across the street and called my family. And I was like, we're moving to Texas. Like <laughs> be able to, to do this, like touch people in a one-to-one way like this and really make a difference more than just writing a check or showing up at something. It was, it was very, very meaningful. And we do that every single day, Alan, in a way that changes people's lives. And the best part of my job is I've gotten to know so many families that need help. And you know, I've gone to customers' weddings and unfortunately customers' celebration of life services and funerals. Mm. Brands don't do that in an authentic mm. way, the way that we do it. And the people that we have working here in the organization have a passion for that. And, you know, whether it's Inheritance of Hope, a charity event that takes, you know, terminally ill parents and takes them on their last trip to Disney World or what we did at Sloan Kettering that day, we also have a, we have an army of almost 3,000 people here that have a passion for that the way that Kendra does and the way that I do. And we go to work and, and it's a, it creates an amazing culture and we know that we're changing lives and we're doing it the right way. And so that's why philanthropy is, is our most important pillar. Um, and that's why it's so important to our company. And the bigger the business gets, the more people we can help. And, you know, I think some companies say that, but we really mean it. I love that. I love that story. And I mean, it, I was going to ask, but I think the story tells it all, which is like, how does, how does this uh, philanthropy actually drive loyalty and affinity to the brand? But you said it in yeah. the story itself. Yeah, we, we, you know, look, we, we make beautiful products at an affordable price point using natural gemstones. And I, I subjectively think that our products are better than our competitions, right? But that's a very subjective statement. And I, people don't buy us. I think they, they come to us sometimes because they see that we make beautiful things, but they stay with us because we make a difference and we have an impact on their lives. And mm-hmm. we have a principle here that the customer is our boss and like she signs our paychecks at the end of the day. And like <laughs> we make decisions based on what she needs and wants. And where she is, but philanthropy is, is meaningful. And I think for people, people buy things with purpose and the customer is smarter than they've ever been. And they can sniff out people that are disingenuous and brands that are disingenuous and we're not. So I think that that makes a big difference. And philanthropy is kind of our yellow thread that runs through everything that we do here. And, and if we're doing our jobs effectively, back to marketing, if marketing's doing their jobs effectively, we're telling that stories that people understand when they buy something from Kendra Scott, when they walk into one of our stores, when they go on our website, like our, our purpose is about doing good and making a difference. And it's not just about a transaction, it's about a connection. Well, let's talk about marketing and how, like, what are the types of marketing campaigns or efforts that you've had most recently? And then I would love 
your thoughts, both as somebody that was a CMO and now as a CEO, like what do you think makes for great marketing? Yeah. So, I mean, we've always really focused on grassroots, local, local, hyper-local events. Like we, we've always done that. And I think that we do it really well. Some of the bigger things that we've done that I'm really proud of and I think have, have connected with our customers were really interesting was Mother's Day of 2022. We did a Take the Time initiative where, and again, our constituency is predominantly female. 95% of our, of our employees are female, but we declared Mother's Day a kind of paid holiday for all of our employees. No one's done that before. I thought that was really interesting. The marketing team kind of drove that and clever and the right thing to do. Like, And I look back, I'm like, geez, how do we not do that? Of course, we're mentioning the right. And so that that was really that was really fun, and I think what we're going to be doing this Mother's Day is going to be really exciting. I mean, Mother's Day is, I mean, again, I think moms are superheroes in general, and I admire my own and, and look at the women that I work with every day that are moms, and it's just such a great gift. So we we want to celebrate moms in a very specific way, and uh, we do it every year, and it's a, it's it's one of our Super Bowls as we get to, to Mother's Day to celebrate the great moms here and our customers. We've had some really amazing collaborations recently too, from Champagne to Chanel or Barbie. And Barbie's a you know one of the most culturally relevant icons right now. Customers loved it. We sold out of things right away. We did a collaboration with the Museum of Ice Cream recently, which was a lot of fun. We targeted men uh, last holiday season with a Buy Better Gifts campaign, which was fun. Twenty five percent of our customers are men, mostly buying gifts, but also mm-hmm. for themselves. And uh, I think some of us, Alan, struggle with buying thoughtful gifts. We kind of feel like, maybe, you know, you wait till the very last minute to buy gifts for somebody and think in like panic mode. Yeah. So we just, we kind of poked fun at that in a really thoughtful way. And thought that was, that was a really successful campaign. And we got to do it with our great friends at Omaha Productions and, you know, it's Peyton Manning's company. Yeah. And so that, that, that was a nice dovetail tie into that too. <laughs> I love that. Love that. Yes. And I, I resemble that comment. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. uh, for my wife, but yes. Well, uh, what do you think? I mean, you guys, it seems like, I mean, you've got this grassroots piece. You, you, I'm reading between the lines, but you intimately know your customers at yeah. a local level. What do you think companies need to do today to stay relevant? And, and how do you think about making sure that Kendra Scott's always staying relevant? Yeah. Well? I mean, there's a lot more noise these days. I mean, when I was you know, self-classified as in the magazine, like the internet was just emerging and you looked at magazines, newspapers or, or TV, right? So it was, when you're launching a marketing campaign, it was pretty easy you'd, how you'd buy media and then how you'd measure it, right? Today, it's changed a lot. Everything's so fragmented. Keeping people's attention span is a lot more challenging than it used to be. But I think at the end of it, it's got to come down to experience. If you have a good relationship with your customers and you understand who they are and what motivates them and i believe that we do through the great work of our team then it just becomes about like authentically telling your story doing it the right way and not trying to you can't i just don't think you can fool people and i think if you're not authentic and trying to do things that aren't are disingenuous then people sniff that out really quickly so i think authentic storytelling is really really important and then you got to have a a multifaceted multi-pronged approach of always on big brand campaigns with thoughtful targeting from an events perspective, how you're thinking about social media, how you think about Halo, brand heat, but just doing it in a consistent, thoughtful, authentic way, I think is really important. And I think the brands that do that really well are have had success and will continue to have success. They don't try to be something that they're not. Where do you where do you see Kinder Scott going in 2023 and beyond? What's next for you guys? 
Yeah. So, I mean, think a lot of what we're going to do in the future is what we've done in, in the past. It's back to my point on being authentic, you know, as Kendra's life has changed and as she's grown, I mean, so has our business, right? We've launched, we launched a men's line, Scott Brothers, named after her sons as they got into the, the business. We just launched uh, and they got older and got interested in, in wearing jewelry and expressing themselves in a creative manner. We launched in engagement recently, which has been really successful. Uh, we just launched a brand called Yellow Rose, as, again, as Kendra's life has, has expanded. But a lot of what we're doing, we have, we have about 5% on native brand awareness across the country. And as big as the business is, it's pretty remarkable how much upside and continue ramp that we have out there. We're mm. just continuing to preach the gospel about who we are and letting people find out about that. But we're going to continue to roll out our new in-store experiences, new store concepts across the country. Retail is at the tip of the spear for us as, as it relates to customer experience. So we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep expanding marketing collaborations and partnerships as opportunities come up that we feel like make sense for our brand and are authentic and just trying to get out there and tell as many people who we are and the difference that we make, because like I said, the, the bigger and more powerful and more aware of the brand they are, that people are, the, the more impact difference we can make in people's lives. Love it. Love it. Well, one of the things we like to do on this show is to get to know you even a little bit more than we already do. We know you have this insatiable drive that took you into playing two sports in college and going back and, and, and landing that, that job, the first job out, outside of college. But my favorite question to ask everyone on the show is, uh, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Yeah. I mean, there's been a million of them, Alan. I, you know, I lost my sister 10 years ago. She had a brain aneurysm. So it was really sudden and we didn't experience, you know, we didn't expect it. Obviously my, you know, it was, she was my only sibling. And I just, I saw how devastating that was to my, my parents. I was a parent at the time. I think I, I had two, two of my children were, were born then, but I think that that was a defining moment for me, for sure, because at that point in my life, I was in my early 30s and so focused and driven on, on my career and what I wanted to accomplish in life. And I think it sidetracked some personal relationships. And mm. that was a, a wake-up call for me that life is short, right? And you never know what's going to happen. And it changed a lot of my behavior and how I treated people, but also really how I valued time. And I think when I think about the currency and the that matters the most to me, it's time. It's the one asset you can't get more of. You can always make more money, you can know, acquire more things, you can't get more time. So I think when that happened, man, it was 11 years ago now, but when that happened 11 years ago, it really kind of reset my life for me of what my priorities were and uh, just how careful I became with my time. And my circle got smaller, people that I just, I didn't want to waste, waste time with. And my, my life really became, you know, my, my family became a lot more important to me. And not that they weren't before, but I just, became more, more diligent, disciplined about time management and focus and that sort of thing. So that, that for sure was a defining moment. I mean, having my children four times was a defining moment. For sure. <laughs> right. you, know, you stop living for yourself and you start living for somebody else. It's, yeah. I, I've always been a servant leader, but I think once you have kids, it, it really changes the definition of what being a servant is. And, and I think that that's kind of, I hope translated into work. I, I don't ever think that the employees here work for me. I feel like I work for them. So I, all those things have kind of shaped me. You know, you are, you are your life, right? Like in the experience mm -hmm. you have. And I hope those things have made me better at my job and hopefully a better parent, and partner and those sort of things. Love it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, well, if you were starting this journey all over again, what advice would you give young Tom? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I wouldn't change a lot about my past. I, I'm pleased with how things have, have worked out in a lot of ways. Probably I would have told myself to like invest in Tesla when they launched. That would, <laughs> that would probably one thing. But no, seriously, I, I it would have been the time thing. Don't waste time with people with mm. people and things that aren't important. And I look back in my when I was younger, my twenties, thirties, I think it's just natural. You gotta find your way. But I wasted a lot of time on things that looking back now just weren't important. So I think that's the, that, that time is the most important thing, you know? So I, I, it would be about that. Just don't waste time. Hmm. Well, is there a topic that either you're trying to learn more about, or you think marketers need to be learning more about? I think that the marketing world, when I sit in, you know, whether it's in marketing meetings here or board meetings for other companies, I think that the marketing world has gotten so reliant upon in a good way and a bad way data and mm. analytics i think it's really important but like you gotta get out in the field and see and talk to your customers mm. i think too many times especially at a high level cmos maybe just are managing down versus like getting out in the field and and just picking up the heartbeat of your customers and listening to them and talking to them and walking walking a, a, a couple steps in their shoes to see how they're seeing things mm -hmm. and it's a great reminder for us. We we always look at things through the lens of a customer and the eyes of a customer. And I think if marketers put down the paper sometimes and just got out and spent time with their customers instead of looking at their customers on a piece of paper, it would probably be more impactful. I 100% agree with that. It's uh, We've come over-reliant, I think, because data is readily available or more readily available. It's become, it's, look, it's really valuable, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff, but it's become a crutch, I think. To, to some. And I mean, look, the whole world is dealing with the massive inefficiencies of, of marketing on social media right now. And, you know, mm -hmm. those things aren't going to get any easier. And I think for the, for the marketing leaders that don't really like deeply understand and know and love their customer and mm -hmm. look at things through their eyes, like it's, it's just their, their jobs are going to continue. You know, it's not going to get easier, but it's going to, that compounds how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. Well, on a personal level, are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, the, I would say that the charity, the cause that I care a lot about right now, and it's a, it's an institution that we sponsor here. I mean, I love the Kendra Scott Foundation, obviously. I think, you know, it, right. that allows us as a platform to disseminate funds and resources to a lot of different causes. So there's not one specifically there. I would say we do some work with Inheritance of Hope. And that's been one that's been near and dear to me. It's I referenced it earlier, but it's an organization started by Kristen and Derek Milligan. Derek's become a good friend and we've been partners there for a long time. And I, I'm fortunate enough to volunteer every year with my youngest daughter, Cameron, and we go and serve families that have a terminally ill parent. And, you know, we've gotten to know the kids and the, and the spouses. And so I'm, I'm passionate about that. I think that the brands that I really admire, I and mean, I'll always admire Ralph because I, I love working there and I love, right. I love Ralph, the person and what they've done and how he, where he came from. I mean, he came, his dad painted murals inside of apartment buildings and he started mm. making ties and he's turned it into the, you know, an American, he's an, he's the American icon and he's a wonderful right. being. So I, I love what they do. I was recently actually earlier today talking to Davis Smith, who's the founder of Cotopaxi. I love that brand. I, yeah. you know, I love how mission driven it is. I love how unique the product is. I love what Joe is doing and has done it at Viore. I really admire that brand as well. And I'm an apparel guy, so I'll pick apparel brand. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that uh, all those companies are, are, are really cool. And I love, you know, I, I serve on the brand of, on the board of Maiden, which is a great company here. I, I admire what they're doing here. And I love that category. And, and then Tommy John is a 
another company that I serve on. I, I also yeah. admire what Tom and Aaron have built. No, I hear you. And I've had Davis has been on the show before as well at Cotopaxi. And it's a one I bring up a lot of times in conversations with people that start talking about purpose and how that influences how they go to market. And it, um, it's it's amazing. I'm really and getting to know him better. I, I feel even yeah. more strongly about the brand. I, yeah, I love what they're building and how he's doing it and the team he's put around them. And, you know, the product's fantastic. And it's a great story. I 100% agree. And it, it literally is woven, <laughs> woven is a pun, I guess, uh, yeah. woven into every single thing that they do. There's, I, I, it doesn't, like the last time I talked to him, it's been a, a number of years, but it, it feels like every single aspect of the business lives and breathes their, their purpose. I, I mean, it goes, it goes back to authenticity. He's an authentic person. I mean, he's leaving in June to go on a mission for three years with family, you know, and yeah. his whole life is about serving others. And he's built a brand around that. And mm. it's, you can tell you can't fake that, right? So I think yeah. I think it's it's a big ingredient in what what makes this business successful. I mean, you got to have great product, obviously, which which he right. does. But I think it's a great it's a great foundation. Awesome. Well, last question for you: What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Yeah, I, back to what I said earlier. I just I don't think enough marketers really know their customer, and they see it, they know them on a piece of paper. You got to know your customer. You have to love them, right? They may not be a, a reflection of who you are as an individual, but you have to you have to love them, and you really got to look at things through their eyes. And I think if you do, you can see just intuitively what your brand is doing well and not doing well. And I think if too many people rely on what's in front of them on a piece of paper and not who's in front of them in a store, they're doing a disservice to their customer and ultimately their company. Well, Tom, it's been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a ton. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, Alan, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's fun. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.